Hello, welcome to Useful Idiots, calling all useful idiots. Thank you so much for joining. Make sure you tune into our uh, Monday mornings, which we do right before this call-in. That's when we react to the Sunday morning news shows that we watch so that you don't have to. And you can find that at youtube.com slash useful idiots. You can also find it on Rumble. Also, make sure you subscribe to us on Substack or Locals because then you get amazing bonus content uh, like uh, extended interviews and also our Thursday throwdown. Uh, very good, if I do say so myself, feature, which is where we react to media clips that aren't from the weekend. Those are always great. Um, also subscribe to us on YouTube or rumble. Also, we do make this a podcast, so please do rate and review us, uh, on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, let's see while I'm waiting for Aaron. Oh, make sure you tune into my show tomorrow. I'm having, uh, two guests to talk about Israel, Palestine, Miko Pellet and Yuna, um, that Mondo Weiss. So very excited about that. And uh, we got Aaron here. Okay, so let us take the first question. We already got a caller. And also tweet this out or Facebook this out. Let's see. Let's hear from Steve. Hello. Hello. Happy May Day. Happy May Day. Um, so I'm going to talk about May Day just for a minute. Um, so uh, there's a thing at the um, ILWU Union Hall in San Francisco. At 1230, 400 North Point. So we're going to have a rally in San Francisco. I assume there's stuff everywhere. I took the day off work. So anyway, to me, it's a holiday. Um, I think next May Day is 365 days away, if I'm correct. I think we should start organizing for next May Day. I, I, for years now, I've been thinking, why don't we organize like a, uh, 12 to 1, um, we sit down in the biggest intersection of every city and every town, you know, for for lunch and uh, non, uh, non-violently, peacefully. And we got our demands, you know, our $20 an hour minimum wage and so on and so forth. Um, so I think we should start organizing that now because I think it takes us a year to organize things because we're not very good in this country. We're not like France. Right. So those French, they have a je ne sais quoi yeah. that, that, that we don't seem to have. Uh, and then Aaron said something about Bernie. <laughs> I guess that working class stuff. <laughs> I guess he forgot that working class stuff. That was hilarious. It was a shtick. I guess it was a working class shtick that he was he was giving us. Um, it, it, Biden said the other day, we can't win this election. I'm not. I, saw the video. I wrote it down word for word. He said, we can't win this election. Donald Trump is going to win this election. I think what happened is, I think he can't say the second half of sentences anymore. I I think he just says the first half and then his brain skips, you know, like a needle on a record player and it skips to the next sentence. So he probably tried to say, we can't win this election without your help. And then he's probably meant to say Donald Trump is going to win this election unless, you know, we we fight. But wait, this was in the campaign video or no? This was, yeah, there was a camp. No, no, no. There was no, a campaign. No, that would there be was, yeah, maybe it was. 
He no, was I standing don't think... behind workers. I can't find the video now. He was standing behind workers. Uh, there was a bunch of workers with signs, and he and people laughed. I mean, wh- how would you have reacted? So you're standing behind him, and he says, "We can't win this election." Donald Trump, uh, and then he stops and thinks, "Donald Trump is going to win this election." People started to laugh. These are people who wanted to support him. Uh, he's not going to be president unless there's a military coup. So, um, and then finally, the Pope is starting to get involved. Uh, Ray McGovern, you know, the the great former CIA analyst who's just an amazing guy. Uh, he's been saying that maybe the Pope could stop this. May- Maybe the Pope can go to Biden. Um, I, I don't believe Biden is Catholic, though, because I don't believe any politicians are actually what they say they are. But uh, he, he has hope in the Pope, so so maybe that'll come through. Hey, that rhymes. Hope in the Pope. Yeah. So, so thanks. Uh, happy May Day. Thanks, you too. You know, that reminds me, remember that episode of, the, of Saved by the Bell where they make a like an anti-drug ad and they say there's no hope in dope? So there's no. Oh, of, I don't. I don't. No is that the one where Jesse becomes a drug addict? Probably, yeah. Anyway, so there's no hope in the Pope. That's good. I like that. But yeah. I think I have hope in the Pope personally. Mm. I like this Pope. Mm. Well, we have a split inside. You split. Oh, yeah. this, this is a major. This, this is a major issue. Uh, yeah. One host is saying there's no hope in in the Pope, and the other yeah. host disagrees. And the, the other host, host yeah. is saying there is hope. There is indeed wow. hope in the Pope. Well, stay tuned, everybody. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Who's right? Yeah. All right. We need. Okay. Oh, we have callers. Okay. Great. Uh, Hello, William. And yes, it was caffeine pills on that episode. Hi, Aaron, Katie. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yes. Loud and clear. Hey, guys. I don't know what to say other than I just think the movie Network, you know, uh, Mr. Beal, I'm mad as hell. (laughs) You don't want to take it anymore. You, you, You watch. You watch the mainstream media and the things you guys are covering. Like, what world are they covering? You know, uh, it's it's not the world I live in. You know, I live in the world of Chris Hedges. You know, uh, the uh, final farewell America tour. You know what I mean? Old manufacturing town. That's yeah. I know I mess jumbled that up a bit, but that's yeah. And Cornell West. That's look look at anyone who fights the establishment. Cornell gets. Loses his tenure at Harvard. Uh, you know, um, we have a guy, Andrew Bridgen, MP out of UK, who's, I, one thing I want to talk about last time was the World Health Organization. This is very important, guys. And Aaron, I hope you and Jimmy can cover this. The World Health Organization, uh, pandemic treaty and the international health regulation amendments that are being proposed, which will basically take away our sovereign rights as a country to decide what health policies this will be all member nations basically uh giving away their sovereign health care decisions to the world health organization so um i'm going to put some links in the live chat you know i didn't have a chance to i did put a couple links in the live chat so let me jump real quick just to remind myself what i put in there oh katie remember real quick remember we mentioned uh regarding trump uh, this, the Council of Foreign Relations, Bilderberg, uh, uh, tri- Trilateral Commission members, including a Rothschild banker in, in his cabinet, you know, nearly 70 
I, I don't have an accurate count on that, but I did put a link in the live chat. And so if we're talking about fighting the swamp, those are the globalists. You know, so the policies fall in, in line with that. Uh, the actual actions, not the verbiage or the verbage, which is verbal garbage. You know what I mean, guys? You know, what what actually gets done? Well, that I think people need to look at. Um, and uh, it's very unfortunate that Bobby Kennedy's not going to get a debate with Joe Biden. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I like Jimmy Dore, just see the whole situation as a giant swamp, uh, you know, uh, puppets for the transnational corporations and churches. And thank you for Katie for mentioning about the Catholic Church. You know where I stand on that. I appreciate what you said about that. And the last thing I want to say, a couple of things. Tara Lee Rodas, the HHS whistleblower, gives her opinion statement on child migrant crisis to the House Judiciary Committee, sex and labor trafficking crisis. And who is hiring these people in this country, the undocumented? There's a YouTube um, uh, I, I put in the live chat uh, for people to, to look at because it's the American companies that are, for the most part, they're hiring the nearly 13 million undocumented immigrants. I worked in Southern Cali in construction companies that had a pipeline. The foreman had pipelines to bring up undocumented people with fake papers. They knew right. they're profiteering right. off this. Like none of the real plans by either party really includes anything to, that deals with that, that sanctions people for that, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's madness, you know, uh, watching and listening to the narratives that get put out. And what happens is when you fight them, like Andrew Bridgen uh, in the UK Parliament in the debates, he uh, made it, uh, quoted a, a uh, cardiologist who cited that, the, the the vaccine uh, adverse events is the worst thing since the Holocaust. He got booted off the uh, Tory party, the conservative party, for making that statement as if he's anti-Semitic. Meanwhile, he had like 25 um, Jewish uh, doctors sign, uh, uh, saying no, his statement is not anti-Semitic. doesn't matter. Now he's off the Tory party. And what was he doing? He was speaking out against the World Health Organization, Pandemic Treaty, and HIHR, uh, International Health Regulation Amendments, which will be binding and eliminating in Article 3 our sovereign, uh, our sovereign rights as individuals and as a country. So to choose, by the way, I'm into holistics. I don't know about you all, but I've said this to Jimmy and Malcolm. My dad used to sell for a big pharma company, J.D. Serrell. And when I was a very young boy, he, he got out of it. And he said to me, Billy, don't let any doctor tell you herbs don't work because most pharmaceuticals are derived from herbs. In fact, I was only eight. That he left it at that. He said, aspirin comes from white willow bark, for example, willow, of a tree. And he said, so most doctors he knew were using um, herbs to get high. <laughs> Jimmy will like this, <laughs> marijuana and opiates. So he said, they know they work. <laughs> they want to use them recreationally. So, you know, uh, of course, we know that um, antibiotics come from fungus. Uh, a lot of things come from soil bacteria derived, like ivermectin. And then you have uh, anti-venom comes from snakes, venom, you know. So I've, I, w I want to stay holistic in, in, in my health care. I don't want to be forced, and I haven't taken a vaccine as an adult. I don't want to be forced into that. You know, I don't know about you all, but that's how I see it. And I, 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 I've never... 
got vaccinated through this whole thing and I'm fine. You know, I'm, I, I'm doing good. I cold a couple of times, a little chest congestion, got over it like any flu season. I'm good, you know. Thank you, William. Uh, Luce, go ahead. Hey, again, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. First time I'm not walking a dog, I think, when I've called in. Um, so I'm not out of breath for once. Um, how are y'all doing? Good. You? Uh, not bad. Uh, my back is killing me, so I'll be quick. Um, but yeah, so first off, um, totally frivolous, random note, saved by the bell. There is a funny or die series, I think of like 50 odd videos called Zach Morris is trash. Oh, wow. And they are brilliant. And they reveal that Zach Morris is like an absolutely malevolent figure in the show and that Slater is actually the hero of the show. Oh, I could have told you that. In many ways. Yeah. But at the time it was billed as like, he's the cool, like devil may care that like, he's got the big ideas and all his ideas are horrible and result in like tragedy for everybody. So anyway, that's yeah, he's a bad dude. Yeah. Random thing that Zach Morris is trash. I watched them and they, they proved the point. But, um, the other thing is, this one's for Aaron specifically because um, you've been on Tucker Carlson's show and I called either last week or called in uh, or the week before and somebody had asked, like, what are good sources for video clips? And I mentioned, uh, like, compilations. I mentioned Matt Orphalea, uh, Case Study QB, and I said, go to Tucker's show. Like, he, his team does these amazing montages of a certain themed, you know, news of the week Thing from different channels. So I was just wondering, uh, posing it to you, Aaron, as somebody, who, I don't know if you've met him in person, but you clearly must have talked to him somewhat just to get on the show in the first place. If you have an impression that he has kind of been red-pilled, not fully, because he still does the dog whistles or has up until the end of his Fox show, but that he might actually go in a different direction that's more geared toward independence, which are the biggest voting block in the country, um, and less toward Fox News-ish audiences, which is pretty ideologically limited, except for his own audience, which is much more ideologically diverse. So that's my question. I've never spoken to him before, except for on the air. So uh, okay. I don't know the guy. I, you know, I, um, I don't know. I don't know. Look, if you look at the people who we've had on, like myself, Jimmy Dore, he had on yeah. Dan, he had on Dan Kavalik, who was like the most like devoted, like one of the most devoted people I know to like anti-imperialist causes. Like Dan, Dan goes around the world. You know, I saw like, I saw him in Syria. He goes everywhere to basically fight U.S. imperialism. And Tucker had him on for a full hour. So if you look at his oh, wow. interest in people like that. Yeah, you might predict that he will go more in that direction, but I don't know. I, I don't know the guy, and there's plenty of. He said some things, you know, as I've said many times, that I found to be pretty distasteful, pretty vile. About I, I would say detestable, just on my yeah. end, as far sure, as yeah, yeah, yeah specific yeah, sure. uh, targeting so of immigrants and you know, yeah, exactly. dirty and that kind of yeah, Trumpian exactly, stuff. exactly. So I don't yeah, know. So I, so I can't make predictions that way, but uh, I'm. Sure but also, he's very, a, he, yeah, he's a smart businessman, and I. I wonder if that was just red meat for the Fox audience. I wonder if he actually means that stuff. Um, well, which it doesn't really he... matter ultimately to oh, some extent, yeah. right? Because he yeah, it's still out. still detestable. So, 
we'll or see. even uh, worse, actually. I, I yeah, respect people more that. who mean horrible things than people who say them just like for opportunistic purposes. Yeah. So, um, sorry, that was all I got on that. So, yeah, I will let you get to your next caller. And oh, how's Bodie? She's good, thanks. She got a really good haircut. She looks great. That's my parents' dog, uh, in case people don't know. She's a, a sweet, well, kind of vicious, actually. Lasa off the rescue. <laughs> well, yeah, you explained the temperament recently um, about the Mastiffs and the losses in yeah. Tibet. Um, very cool yeah. story that I did not know, so thank you for yeah. that. Okay, well, I will let you two go. Uh, have a great Monday morning. Thanks so much, you too. Okay, thanks, bye. Okay. Uh, Sterling. Hold on, let me make next caller. Good morning. Hey, hey good morning, you guys. I hope you had a nice weekend. Thanks, you too. Yeah, I did, actually. Um, I wanted to talk about Bernie because it's just so sad every now seeing him now because I always think about 2016 and really it did seem like a revolution. It was really exciting times. I met incredible people um, just through social media. There was a lot of creativity around his everything he did. Um, but I think most importantly, what he ended up doing was really exposing what is going on in the Democratic Party and the deep state. And, um, you know, with the rigging of the primary, you know, I, I just think so many more people started paying a lot of attention to what was going on. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just going to be forever grateful for that. But it is kind of hard to see him now when you're just like, oh, my gosh, this is... This is kind of sad. But um, as far as what William was saying about the WHO, I think that is incredibly concerning. And this whole globalist thing, um, what really plays into it is what you guys were saying this morning about the billion dollars going to Biden. And um, that's really concerning from Wall Street because it plays right into it. And I felt like, and I don't know if I've discussed this on here before, I noticed in October 2020, the Wall Street Journal ran a headline and it said Biden up by eight points in this poll. And from what I'd been following of polls, it was like the biggest declaration that he could possibly win. And I thought, then that's it. And this is a signal to every corporatist, every investor that you have to vote for Biden. And it was right at that time that he said nothing will fundamentally change. And so this is what's going to win this election. And it's really depressing. It's going to be them and then everybody else that they're exploiting in their constantly, you know, woke politics. And that is insult that insults everybody because I don't think anybody needs to be told, you know, that we're here as Americans to like and get along with everybody, but they keep playing that, that, that we do. And um, so, yeah, I think that is really concerning. And, and um, I'd love to see somebody like RFK at least shake this up a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, somehow, they're going to force him in a democracy to debate, but it really looks like they're going to be able to shut that down, um, which really sucks. But as far as really great news this week, and the one woman that I really like to, um, you know, after um, Hillary w was won the primary and everybody on the left was saying, not my, fe not my feminist role model, not my, fe I mean, I must have tweeted that a million times. And um Claire Daly, to me, is amazing. And I have two little nieces. Yeah. And so this week... She's the she, I, I, uh, Irish uh, EU MP. Yeah. And she spoke before the um, EU... I mean, sorry, the UN. And it was unreal. Uh, she basically, she said... Well, this is a quote. Shameful displays of colonial arrogance towards China should be left in the past. The issue is simple. 
Do we want to be a vassal of our Atlantic friends or have a peaceful, independent relation with our largest trading partner who hasn't dropped a bomb on anyone in 40 years? But she goes on. I mean, she really gives America a really hard time. And, um, you know, this this is what the only hope I have is not in the Pope. It's actually in um, is in bricks. And I think it's the only thing that's going to be able to keep us in check. So it's interesting to watch um, like France and Ireland and other countries just saying, look, America is basically not your friend. And so anyway, kudos to Claire. I hope people follow her. She's really amazing. And thanks, guys. And she's been on Useful Idiots as well as the Katie Halper Show. So make sure you guys check those interviews out. Yeah, she's amazing. So are you guys. Thanks. Have a good week. You too. Make sure you hang up, okay? Because I I highlighted the next caller and I could still hear you, which was fine. Just don't want to hear you over Cade. Okay. Hi, Cade. Hi. Um, I guess I was just calling to ask. I was surprised the one, um, the person representing Biden on one of the shows mentioned that Ukraine trip, because I would think they'd be running away from the like Ukraine issue as hard as they could. Um, and I guess I just wanted to ask, I'd also like, I'd listen to Aaron, I'd listen to you and Max Blumenthal um, talking about um, uh, maybe, you know, the chances that maybe the Ukraine war wrapping up or, you know, peace deal being reached and, you know, the U.S. backing down if the counteroffensive isn't successful. And I'm just kind of wondering how people picture that playing out, because I, I see that like Biden is Biden and Zelensky are both going to be like kind of trapped where they can't um, can't pursue a peace deal, because if they pursue a peace deal, there's no way they're going to get a deal that was as good as the deal they could have got last April. And so one as long as the war continues, they can pretend they're going to win. But when the war is over, um, if they if they if they strike a peace deal, they're immediately going to you know be asked why. You know, you killed 200,000 people um, in in the year that followed just to get a worse peace deal. So I, I think they're, they've kind of trapped themselves into the war. And then also if Biden, you know, supports a peace deal, eventually it's going to be Trump, you know, claiming that, claiming victory, kind of claiming that he forced Biden to back down and Biden being afraid to, to look like he's backing down to Trump's demands for peace. So I, I guess it just it looks like to me like it's a trap that could just easily keep the U.S. and the Ukraine sort of in the war until until at least after the election. I think that's a great point. And I do think if you're the White House, you want to keep this war going. till after the election, because you're right, uh, Ukraine will not get a better deal now than they could have gotten before. And so it'll be very hard to sell anything as a victory. Um, and also the problem is Zelensky, no matter what he wants to do, there are really powerful people inside his government that do not want any kind of negotiation. They actually want to keep fighting. Um, there's a really interesting article in the London Times. Let me pull it up. It's The headline is unbelievable. It says... Um, This, to me, captures like the proxy war mentality in a nutshell. The headline is, um, Ukraine isn't ready for its big offensive, but it has no choice. Wow. You know, isn't that crazy? So it's like, so they acknowledge that Ukraine isn't even ready, but they have no choice. But of course they have a choice. They don't have to do it. They can just negotiate now and end the war. 
Um, but the article points out that they're, you know, like the Zelensky is trapped because there are people inside his uh, government, such as, for example, Kirillo Budinov, Ukraine's military intelligence chief, uh, wants to prevent any meaningful talk about negotiations, even though some in the government think now is the time to put out feelers. Uh, one Western diplomat in Kyiv described a surreal parallel experience as his interlocutors discuss potential formats for negotiations one evening and then shout there can be no talks with Russia in public the next day. So that's the problem. It's just there's... Um, and, and, and this has always been the issue. This is why Zelensky was never allowed to implement his own election mandate uh, to make peace is because there are, are powerful, powerful forces inside the Ukrainian state that just won't allow it because they're, they don't believe in any kind of accommodation with the uh, Russian-backed Ukrainians in the East. And they just they don't see these people as equal. They don't want to recognize the equality of ethnic Russians and Russian-identified Ukrainians instead of Ukraine. And that's a major problem. And that's who... The U.S. decided with all along, so it's a it's a problem, and I, I, you know, it's really interesting to think about. Yeah, it how, just seems so. How, so how much that how much that constrains the prospects for peace? Yeah, it just seems sort of so intractable. I I was reading back about like World War One and how World War One dragged on for so long before ending, and the German general who crossed the line to to negotiate the peace deal, you know. Um, he was assassinated in the street by a nationalist, you know, three years later. And so like, that's sort of what waits for, you know, whatever Ukrainian people end up being involved in the, the peace negotiations potentially is just, uh, something like that happening to them in the future. Um, and certainly they won't be in like the powerful government positions they are right now, or like Cy Hirsch with the new article, talking about how many millions of dollars they're being able to skim off the gas um, deals. Like they won't be in that sort of position anymore. So instead of being rich, they can be rich during the war as long as the war goes on. Or if they strike a peace deal, you know, they can be losing their positions of power and then potentially, you know, risking like assassination in the streets, which is just an awful, awful like trap that they've got themselves into. Um, I, I just don't see how it ends, but I'll lay it on the next caller. Thanks, Cade. Yeah, thank you. Anthony. Good morning, useful idiots. Not the brilliant idiots. I saw that. That was funny. Oh, <laughs> Charlotte. Yeah. Charlemagne's riding our, you know what, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that podcast was, but he's right. They got to have debates. And I don't know. I mean, everyone, some people are saying they won't, but I think, you know, they could be coerced. I don't know, twisted their arm into or embarrassed into. Shamed. This yeah, shamed into it. Yeah. Shamed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because uh, I think about debates past and you, Aaron, you said there'd be a, la a loss of excitement. And that's true. Uh, not only on TV, but back in 2016, um, they had a debate here in my town, the Republican, and Sarah Palin in 2016 was just like out on the fringes doing Fox News, you know, uh, scenes uh, in like uh, bars and restaurants by the place. And one of my buddies started a bar fight. It was hilarious. My cousin was there. They got 
people got pepper sprayed. It was, I wasn't like trying to have a fight. I actually brought one of her old books and like wanted to get it signed. I was, <laughs> but one of my buddies started a fight because she was there. So yeah, there's a lack of entertainment if we don't have deb- primary debates. Did she sign your book? No, I actually left it at the bar. That sucks. There's a there's a news article written about it somewhere. Uh, you can look it up. Just Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin 2016 bar fight. <laughs> okay. But yeah, uh, what what else? Oh, they had a. I was watching C-SPAN yesterday. They had Chuck Rocha on, and uh, he's riding with Biden. But I I said they, it was the get of the host Tia from Tia Mitchell from the Atlanta Constitution Journal and MSNBC. And I said, well, there's three candidates. I've heard about all these Republicans who may or may not be running. Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, so-and-so from you. But you haven't said a word about Marianne. Not my, I'm not a fan, but Marianne and RFK. So what's what gives Tia? And she's just, just like, oh, you can check our archives for uh, RFK. But that was funny. But nothing for Marianne? No, nothing for any either of the other candidates. But that that just that was funny too. The uh, I was thinking of the man on the street interview with Martha Raddatz. That's funny. She was really out of her. I mean, maybe she was in her element. She looked like she was. Was that a college campus? Do you know which one? No, I don't know. That was a good scene with Martha. Yeah, but those was just to me. I saw it as Biden voters posting their L's. Yeah, which or, is a, yeah sad common sight we have right like all that 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 young woman could say about him that she liked was that he was not trump yeah (laughs) and and then the the guy who's like well we're democrats and we have to stick on message about this legislation i'm like the people they're talking about the chips act and that's not a good one in my column and this bipartisan infrastructure act i have yet to see the fruits of that, but so I, and the guy who said funny. that was a surrogate, right? I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah, I think he was. Oh, well, it depends which clip you're talking about. Are you talking about the man Martha? On the yeah, Martha yeah, yeah, Red. He's a surrogate. He's a surrogate. Mm, okay, he's going to be on message then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the progressives' campaign. They're campaigning for Build Back Better, which is a Klaus Schwab uh, phrase. Instead of Medicare for all, which is what progressives should be for. Terrible. Right. Which Biden suggested he'd veto if it came to his desk. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. OK. Two, two last things with regard to the Ukraine war. I thought of a very simple thing, which I said to my representative. I said it's not strategic because it's not moral. It's amoral and it's not moral because it's not strategic. And there you go. That's all that can be said about the Ukraine war. It's not moral and it's not strategic. Mm. And those two feed into each other. Im- immoral. Amoral. Immoral. Amoral. Immoral. Which one? I think I don't know. immoral. I think immoral is better. All right. Because it is immoral. Thank you, Anthony. Joshua. All right. Is my mic as loud as Will's? Yeah. Oh. It's. We hear you. Oh, oh, well, that's okay. Well, that's maybe good. So I just wanted to uh, see, like, so I, as a former bouncer, I don't really want to go and have more bar fights. 
Uh, but uh, I guess since we got pro-war, pro-no-choice parties out there, um, I, I, all I envision right now is uh, Borat's unitard and think about a uniparty. Uh, Bernie, just like the rest of it, has tarnished his legacy. Uh, he is not a revolutionary. Uh, maybe all of the things he did in the 60s uh, were with a good heart and mind. Um, but like many people, he's old. Um, and also there's selling out and fear. Uh, FDR talked about fear. Um, but we only lost like 350,000 people in World War II versus the Russians, what, 27 million? Maybe they know something about fighting Nazis. Uh, but, you know, and who is it that maybe has to hide right now in this country, which is shameful? Uh, people of color, marginalized people, trans people. Uh, if you're a communist, they're making, uh, you know, whispers in those offices of knowledge and power. I'm putting those things in quotes. Um, if you uh, you speak out, especially if you get in the streets, um, especially if you fight climate change very actively and vehemently, um, defund the police has been co-opted for reform, which is not reform, but funding more police. Um, and then, you know, we look at, you know, what we have for entertainment and it is the Sunday morning news shows, which most of us can't watch and you guys do for us. Um, but I, like a lot of people, can't afford to take May Day off. Um, and uh, so hi-ho, hi-ho. <laughs> um, but Aaron, you said this is going to be hilarious um, and inspiring. And I, I think that can be true. But I don't see how we have a choice if they decide to fit within this uniparty to run their platform. Um, and I know that you guys have talked about Marianne um, and RFK, and many people have brought them up as people that have something to say. Um, but like Marina in Mexico, I think they need to defect to a third party. I think that needs to be created. And if they don't have, and I don't think that there is the interest or the political will present here now uh, to do that, um, that is to their own detriment. So uh, that is their hill to die on. Uh, I don't feel like we have to simp for them or anybody else. Um, I don't think it's simping to say that they should be allowed to debate, though. Th they should be allowed to debate, but they also will have their past records and statements held against them like everybody else, including, yeah, of course. you know, Tucker Carlson, who, you know, we're going to platform somewhere else, even though he's a reprehensible human being. Um. Uh, I'm just tired of Rush Limbaugh and Alex Jones's voices being heard anywhere uh, and or the people that make money off of going on their shows or platforming that. Um, I do believe in cancel culture at this point. <laughs> 
Uh, but I also will cancel myself out of rooms where I'm not welcome. Uh, the, uh, but one of the things that you brought up on the show today was, uh, you know, Hunter Biden and Blinken and the exchange of information between wives. And I'm like, hey, are they wife swapping? Uh, because, you know, there's a oh history Oh, my God, you're that. saying they're, they're sister wives? No, I know. No, the wives were communicating. I don't know. I don't know what these people get up to. I'm not in those bedrooms. I don't have the copper mat on them. Yeah. You know, that guy's dead. Um, <laughs> All right. Thank you for the call, Joshua. Ian, go ahead. Hello, Monday. Mo Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. So, were you guys on debate teams? No. You know, I was on one debate team once, and I got disqualified because my team started laughing at the other team. Cause, oh, no. How yeah, old were you? I was, you know, I was, a young, I was a young kid. I was probably 14 or something like that. And we, got, and we laughed. Like, we were giggling. And we were out, you know. Um, you should and, have said yeah. it was nervous laughter. I should have said that. Yes, I should have. 2020 well, hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I asked that because I am the caller from Brazil and growing up here we watch a lot of American movies and TV shows and we see a lot of them talking about debate clubs, you know, in high schools and college. And here in Brazil we unfortunately, unfortunately don't have this tradition in schools and even though we have presidential debates and they are a big deal, you know. So imagine if these national debate tournaments you have there would ha would make young people talk about real issues like healthcare, social security, and forever wars, and even the importance of presidential debates for people to know what they're doing in the election, you know. So I'm pretty sure AOC would be better off hosting a debate tournament in her district instead of a military recruitment fair. So do you think this debate tradition in America is dead? Is what? What's the verb? Do we think it's is what? The debate, is the debate tradition dead? I, I sure hope not. Uh, but yeah, I, I sure hope not. But I think um, the fact that the Democrats can like, shun debates and no one really raises a objection, yeah, definitely debate culture is taking a big hit. It's too bad because debates are really important. But um, I mean, like, look at our media. Are we allowed to debate the Ukraine proxy war? <laughs> in our media no look at look at uh you know joe biden this weekend went for the white house correspondence dinner and he said you know journalism is not a crime and everybody applauded him and no one could even point out that he's persecuting julian assange yeah. so yeah debate culture has taken a very big hit in the u.s and to the extent debates allowed to happen it's only within very very narrow bounds yeah well thanks for in this show, you know, you make us more intelligent. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Bradford. Hello, Bradford. Hi, can you hear? Okay, yes. I'm yeah. sorry. I had to allow the microphone. I'm sorry. So uh, thank you for taking my call. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Democratic primary. Um, I just don't see there's as there, and I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. I usually vote third party in national elections. 
Um, but I do not see any incentive at all for the Democrats to host any debates. That's simply something that really is almost never done on for any of the incumbents. So why would they do that when they know that every time a incumbent president has a a strong primary contender, it weakens them in the national election. They always win the primary, but it weakens them so much in the national election, they always have lost when they have a strong primary um, opponent. So there's no incentive at all for the strategists to recommend any type of debate. There will be a primary. Of course, there's going to be a primary. But why would you think that they should be hosting debates? Well, there's a difference between should and will. And I think Anthony said this before. The only way it'll happen is if they're shamed into it. But we don't know if they will be. Well, there's no there's no amount of shame that they could be given to say, yes, please weaken the president so much that we are almost guaranteed to lose in the national election. That's what the odds show. I mean, there's just it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, and and then to go up against the, the people that they're going up against that don't. These people, RFK has no shot at a national, uh, winning a national election. I, Marianne, maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about her, but I do know enough about Robert Kennedy to know that an, an extreme anti-vaxxer from the, the days of autism anti-vaxxing is going to in any way be a contender against. So the Democrats just, they, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I get that you, you one would say in a democracy, we should allow for these debates. But we also have to think in terms of political strategy. And it just doesn't make sense. Okay. I would like to uh, really quickly say another thing about keeping the war going for as long as possible. Um, as far as the... Um, as far as the the current administration goes, it's they it's, they cannot have the war end during the lead up to this election unless it's a total victory, which it, all things say that it won't be a total victory. It's the only thing that has any bipartisan support at all. It's the only thing that you could ask a Republican is the current administration doing an okay job on in any amount in that they're going to say yes the they're they're doing good for the war effort and so i mean it, it just gets some it gets some that type of bipartisan support that only wars bring for some reason for you know building up the military industrial complex but uh yeah so anyway that's my point on that all righty thanks bradford yep thanks bye okay jonathan Unmute. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. Uh, I I actually was going to call in about uh, Friday's Friday's episode. I wasn't really sure if I should because the take is not going to make me super popular around here. But um, you know, I don't necessarily think that uh, appreciating the value of the Twitter files and loving and admiring and respecting Matt means I need to be uh, kind of uh, blindly uncritical of every single decision he makes. So I figured I'd throw this one out there because there, there was a, a, you know, a part of your interview that kind of hit on the core 
of what I would consider a good faith criticism of people that are generally supportive, which is he said, I would have done just about anything to keep access to the Twitter files open. And I think people saw that. I think Elon Musk saw that. And that's a very, very different power dynamic than a leaker or source and a journalist normally. That is more analogous to the relationship between a political journalist and a politician. And, you know, there is a certain degree of, you know, it put him in a very awkward position at times like when, you know, Barry Weiss lost access because of the, uh, you know, the Elon Musk jet account uh, related suspensions and so on and so forth. And there is even amongst people that, love and admire and respect Matt and appreciate the Twitter files, there's a little bit of an ick factor to that. And I, I think it would be better in terms of, you know, keeping trust with his audience if he just acknowledged that. You know what I mean? Like acknowledge there was something problem. I mean, but why, if he, he thinks that was the right decision, but you're saying he should say, I know it's, I- weird like what what was yeah your- because like there is a degree to which there was a compromise of his own stated ethics against censorship involved there and he was forced to make kind of a sophie's choice and you know he's kind of acknowledged that it was a sophie's choice but i kind of wish he would instead of getting defensive with the good faith as well as the bad faith Uh, acknowledge, yes, I understand where you're coming from. It was a difficult decision I grappled with, but I'm aware of the ethical conundrum. And, you know, obviously it's not ideal that I was placed in that situation, but, you know, this is, I understand where you're coming from. If you would have made a different choice, that's cool, but uh, this is what I went with. But there, there isn't that there's, there's just kind of a defensiveness and a a kind of a, a, it seems like a lack of awareness of that ick factor there. And, you know, at least a lack of admission or forthrightness about it. And that, I think, is, is what makes uh, even people who are sympathetic to Matt a little bit uncomfortable. Hmm. Okay. I think Just I hear kind one. of throwing, throwing that out there. Yeah. Well, it's a safe, this is a safe space. Well, I appreciate that. That's all I got for this week. But uh, this was a great uh, this was a great Monday morning. Uh, just an abundance of riches. Thanks, Jonathan. Have a good one. You too. Okay, Amanda. And then we're gonna wrap after. Then no war. Then Virgin. Whatever. But so keep these quick. Super quick. Two very little quick things. One is, I don't know how many people, I'm sure Katie, you know, and Aaron know, but the League of Women Voters used to be the ones who hosted the debates. And, you know, we could be putting pressure on those organizations or people who have programs on the left, like, for example, Useful Idiots could be um, putting something together or Brianna Joy Gray or RBN, um, because it doesn't necessarily have to be the Democratic Party hosting it. The other quick thing is the Democrats continue to just pile up things that they have not done, but have been talking about forever and ever, because yes, yet again, 
the ERA did not make it out of the Senate, the Equal Rights Amendment. And all Joe Biden has to do is write a letter to the Librarian of Congress to say put it in because 38 states have approved it, which is all that's required. Wow. Yeah. So those are, it's just another thing to pile on. I'm not going to become a Republican because the Democrats suck and and having nobody to go to sucks. But you know what? I'm not going to support a party anymore that didn't do anything to codify Roe that continues to allow women to be left out of the Constitution to say nothing of all the other people's rights who are constantly violated around the world. But I'll keep it short, like you said. I really appreciate you too, and thanks for giving me a moment here. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. Um, okay, no war. Oh, and by the way, there's an event for Julian Assange. Um, hold on, let me just tell people about that. Um, it is this Monday. Today. No, sorry. Whoops. Wednesday. Thank you for that. Um, let me tell you when that is. It is Wednesday. Uh, I'll, I'll get it. You you ask your question. Okay. So um, I just called in uh, because of a few callers ago talking about uh, primary and maybe they're that having primary candidates is a bad idea. Um, I think the fact that we at all entertain that as a thought is disappointing in this country. I mean, that is antithetical to democracy to, uh, to not allow discussion, dissent, and have other candidates on a stage. Like, that's how it should be. And that we think that, like, that shouldn't be allowed is weird. Like, and so because it hasn't been allowed. Because right. Obama wasn't pushed back on. Bush wasn't pushed back on in 04. Like, the last time I think that an incumbent was even mildly challenged, I think, was 80 when Teddy Kennedy challenged Carter, I believe. And so we just don't have a history of this happening. And, and so, like, that's one point. And the other point is, this is a president that should be challenged. He has issues. He has severe cognitive issues. Anybody that is unwilling to admit that is blind. This guy is not like fit to be our president and he is our president and it is what it is. But like, I think you guys were talking a little bit about it on, on the YouTube show, you know, Bernie's a little older. I want, I don't question Bernie's cognitive ability. If Bernie was president right now, like, Bernie doesn't have an issue making sentences and like, and I hate saying that about Biden because like that sucks just to, for people to go through that in their old age. And I wish that we didn't have that issue for older people, but we do. And Biden's clearly there. So we should have a debate on whether he should be our president. And that should just like not be a question. And it should always not be a question when we have an incumbent. We need to challenge that that history of no debate over who our incumbent president is. They just get to run again blindly, yeah. even if they've done a shit job like Obama had in his first four years. Let's just run him again because he's awesome. So anyway, I think I made my point. And, okay, thanks, uh, Chris. And, and the, the event is World Press Freedom Day, Wednesday, May 3rd, rally to honor journalist and publisher Julian Assange. It's at um, 4 p.m., 
and it's uh, at 49th between 5th and 6th. It's in front of MSNBC. That's why it's there. So uh, May 3rd, 4 p.m., 49th between 5th and 6th is in New York City. And uh, Randy Credico, Jim Cavanaugh, Margaret Kimberly, Margaret Kunstler will be there. Um, okay. Uh, last call, uh, last caller. Sorry, Jeremy, we'll have to get to you next time. Cause Derek. Hello. Come in early, Jeremy, and we'll get to you next time. Yeah, Derek. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I wanted to say, um, I think with regards to the primary, the elephant in the room is that Biden has not been as effective as people want him to be, but a primary challenge is basically going to gift um, 2024 to the challenger of Biden, the Republican challenger of Biden. I mean, Miriam Williamson, I'm sorry, doesn't, in my opinion, have um, president, incumbent presidents don't usually get challenged. And I think there's fear that if he faces a serious challenge, particularly if he somehow wins, that he's toast and DOA for um, a Trump or DeSantis. So I think that's kind of the pushback, you know. Yeah, like, that's, what I, that's what. And I mean, RFK, to be honest, is like being bankrolled by Steve Bannon. So that's not really someone who like we, we can do the whole RFK thing, but he's not someone who is genuinely going at his from good faith. I think Bannon is bankrolling him to sabotage Democrats. And, you know, I'm not biting guy at all, but I'm also not one of these lefties who's like if DeSantis or Trump win who give a shit like you know I I cannot like Biden but so you're def- you're saying it's a smart decision okay I'm yeah just- yeah and I and again I cannot like Biden at all but that doesn't mean I'm one of like I said I'm not one of these lefties who's like if Trump or DeSantis win in 2024 I don't have a problem with it at all um and then the other thing I wanted to say and in terms of my media critique is I think I guess Tucker provided an important anti-establishment view in some issues but I don't get the fawning over a person who um, had a guest on, and Aaron can actually look this up, had a guest on who said he wanted to sit on the throne of Chinese skulls and provided very, and, and didn't even push back on that. Or someone who wanted to, said he wanted to invade, uh, said he wanted, um, he wants homeless people to be enemies of society. So we can appreciate Tucker's anti-establishment voice on certain issues, but I don't get the whole pretending like he's some socialist important voice he's a guy who has a lot of very bigoted views on race and muslims and homeless people he called the voters of pennsylvania stupid for voting for john fetterman so tucker may be having some good points on ukraine maybe i'll give him that but i think it's important for the left not to fawn over him um i haven't seen anybody fawn over him and i've made the same points you have in fact uh, i remember when that guest made the chinese skulls remark i i tweeted about it. i said this is too offensive and disgusting to be even worthy of further comment it was so ridiculous sitting on you know so i i i agree with that critique but what i will acknowledge is that he was better on ukraine than everybody else on cable news and even i have to say in most leftist media which is true um that doesn't mean he's worthy of you know uh, adulation it just means it's just a reflection of where Right. Um, we're at. And look, there's an article in uh, how do you in that outlet semaphore? It's called it just came out. It's called the Ukraine's it's called the Murdoch's Ukraine connection. And they report that um, Zelensky spoke to both Rupert Murdoch and his son, Lachlan Murdoch, on March 15th. So not too long ago. And um, 
they don't say that this call directly influenced Tucker Carlson's firing, but the call happened. And you have to wonder if it did. They also report that um, they say this, uh, Carlson's firing will immediately relieve pressure on key Capitol Hill Ukraine supporters whom Carlson has criticized on the air and sometimes pressed behind the scenes to change their positions on the war. So it's just like, it's just true that his firing is a good thing for proxy warriors. It, that, that's just a fact. And uh, I'm not going to shy away from acknowledging that just because of all of Carlson's vi- vile views on other topics. Yeah, and I agree. I don't think he got fired by, based on Ukraine. You know, I was more and in, frustrated. In, in I forget. I don't know if it was Glenn or whoever said that, but someone suggested that liberals don't have a problem with Sean Hannity. They just hate Tucker because of his proxy wars, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I hate Hannity as much as I hate Tucker Carlson. I get. I think Tucker personally got No, but listen, Tucker. but the point there, Derek, is that Hannity's stupidity and dumb comments don't get nearly the attention that Carlson's do. At least, um, you know, that's the critique. Now, you might not agree with that. I think it's true. I think if you look at Media Matters, groups like that, in my my experience, they go way more after Tucker Carlson than Sean Hannity. Uh, And that's because Hannity is just a typical Republican, whereas I think Carlson actually is, on some issues, heterodox. He is. And uh, that's the point there. Not that people don't make fun of Hannity, but that Carlson gets way more attention than Hannity yeah, does. Yeah, and the last thing I will say is is that I think Carlson I think Carlson got fired because the Dominion lawsuit scared the shit out of out of Fox News, <laughs> you know. And I I just think you know we've seen CNN increasingly become more corporate. I think Fox News, like the Dominion lawsuit, scared them. And with regards to Tucker, the last thing I will say is. I will say that more than other Fox hosts, he has leaned into the sort of demographic white replacement stuff. Yeah. I think that's stuff that liberals are more offended by than having wars on proxy. Like, I just think that's how liberals are wired. They hear someone talking about black people or how Muslims are coming over or immigrants. That's going to override any sort of credence they may give to the Ukraine proxy war stuff. So thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Thanks for calling. All right. Jeremy, last caller. Hi, Jeremy. What's up? Hi. Hi. I just wanted to bring up this, the question of what's actually going on in terms of what Aaron had brought up at the end of your show in terms of the alleged, uh, Russian FSB sponsorship of these networks in the United States. And I still haven't heard whether you've addressed the fact that one of the uh, indicted members of the Black Uhurus is actually a guy named Gadzi Kodzo, who's actually been very friendly and uh, totally aligned with uh, Gavin McGinnis and the Proud Boys for a while now. He's titled the Black Hitler and another group here that was involved in this FSB-managed, uh, quote-unquote, dissident network in the United States was the Calexit movement. And, and we've seen this rising all around, especially in terms of the right, the push towards the idea of uh, national divorce, secessionism, civil war is impending. 
And then this all then feeds into the cover-up that I've seen very much from not only uh, useful idiots, but this entire milieu that seems to horseshoe back into the Tucker right in terms of the actual deep background of the Russian war on Ukraine. They've been setting this up via people like uh, Alexander Dugin, who, by the way, in his actual written political quote-unquote philosophy in the 90s, called for exactly what we're seeing in these indictments about uh, Russian sponsorship so, of Jeremy, sort of Jeremy, dissident... Jeremy, what are you alleging? Are you alleging that Alexander Dugin and the Russians are behind these black leftists and controlling their movements and getting them to say the things they're saying? Is that what, is that what you're saying? Um, well, I, I wasn't saying Dugin himself. This is Dugin is more associated long-term with the GRU, Russian okay, military okay, intelligence. Okay, so forget Dugin. So you're Russians. Like, you're saying that Russians are behind these people. Well, they, they're helping manage and massage their messages, right? For what we saw in the indictment was that the uh, the uh, elder leader, who I think is not actually, he's being more what we might call a useful idiot in terms of the way that he's being managed. Kozo, for example, though, looks to be a total agent of these kinds of forces. But my point with Dugan was that Dugan, in his uh, political writing in the 90s, called specifically for taking advantage of U.S. dissidents across the political spectrum. And specifically, uh-huh. he talked about black dissidents and taking advantage uh, of that to sow okay. discord. So, yes, I got it. So just because some Russian guy expressed an interest in doing that, it doesn't mean they're actually doing it. And what, I don't actually know about the guy you're referring to, this the, the one who's not Amalia Shatella. I do know Amalia Shatella has been an activist his whole life has been saying the, the same things his whole life. And as he said, hold on a second, he doesn't need Russia to tell him what to say. So, yeah, does are there some Russians who have been in touch with these people and have communicated with them and even gave them some money? Yes, um, that that's documented. But does that mean that Russia is controlling what they're saying? I think that's a huge leap. And even though, even if some Russians express the interest in doing that, it doesn't mean that that's come to fruition. And again, what is the impact of these people? Would anybody know, except for a small fringe, who these people are if they weren't the subject of this of this indictment and these raids? Of course they wouldn't. So the idea that they've had some kind of impact in sowing discord to me is a is a joke. And I don't think Amalia Shatella needed a Russian to tell him that uh, the U.S. is imperialist. That that's consistent with his worldview his whole life. And it, you know, as you probably know. The smear tactic has been used forever against people like Dr. King as well. Like, was Dr. King a Soviet agent? I mean, th- this is a very old, old tactic. And uh, and and also, and what's if you want to compare? I mean, look, um, if you want to compare it, the U.S. spends tens of millions of dollars abroad on supporting people who you know serve its own interests. So the playbook is very similar. The difference is the U.S. spends a lot more money, and it's efforts have have actual results. I mean, the U.S. has been very successful in destabilizing governments it doesn't like. Whereas, did the African People's Socialist Party have any impact on the U.S., assuming that Russia was trying to use them? Of course they didn't. Well, I think it's a much, it's a, it's indicative of a much bigger network and problem with narrative warfare. You bring up an important example of King. We know for sure that King was targeted ultimately actually for assassination by domestic forces in the highest levels, including all the way on up to the top of the FBI, 
Hoover, mm-hmm. as as William Pepper has shown in his civil suit on behalf of the King family and his trilogy about the facts of the King case, it went up to the highest levels of, of the U.S. government. And yes, part of it was because King was being framed as a communist. And he did have Soviet, some Soviet agents surrounding him. But what's not talked about in these sort of left horseshoe circles is that it came out, I believe, in the Matrokin archives, that King was actually seen as a threat to the Soviets and their desire to control uh, the uh, black civil rights movement in a way that was less uh, appealing to American values as King began to always, you know, couch everything in a black American Christian tradition rather than in a Marxist tradition. So then back to Dugan, though, and this is important because one of the messages, right, I agree with you. I don't think, you know, that... um, that the what's his name again? Shatella. Uh, yes, I agree. I agree that he was. He's gonna. He's been has a tradition, a long term track record, of saying what he believes from his own uh, black radical socialist tradition. He doesn't need Russians to tell him what to say. However, if the if the allegations are true, then he was asked specifically to come out in support of the, uh, I think it was the Donetsk uh, People's Republic, uh, you know, their um, legitimacy and their sovereignty in declaring their independence, right, from Ukraine. And this is crucial, right, because part of what Dugin was doing as a long-term Russian military intelligence agent, not just some kind of wacky philosopher or something like that, he was on the ground long-term in the Donbass being sponsored by Russian uh, Orthodox uh, Christian billionaire oligarch Malofiev in conjunction with the Russian government, setting up this long-term plan to sort of All have right. these so breakaways. Listen, Jeremy, listen, Jeremy, so this is where we differ. You, see, you seem to see the Russians as behind many things, and I just don't. And even Dugin being a military intelligence officer, I, I, think, I think his influence in Russia from what I know of it, has been overblown. And I, I don't even know if that's true, that he is an intelligence officer. I, um, I know he, people think he is, but I don't think that's been even established. So um, anyway, look, you obviously feel strongly that Russia has been playing a very nefarious role in fomenting discord uh, elsewhere, including in the U.S. And do you see this case as a new example of that? I see this case as a new case of, of, of McCarthyism. And uh, and I don't think again, uh, Amalia Chatella needed anyone to get him to express support for the Donetsk People's Republic. Uh, I think those are consistent with his lifelong views, where his main focus is U.S. imperialism. And uh, but look, maybe the trial, if it goes to trial, will unearth more like more evidence, and we'll learn more. But when I read this indictment, I read a whole lot of information about these people's views, which the U.S. government doesn't like, and very little in actual substance in terms of, like, evidence that Russia is guiding their actions and is is controlling them. Yes, some Russians gave them some money. It's what? It's in the thousands of dollars. It's not relatively, compared to what is spent on actual influence operations, a, a very, very big amount. So uh, we'll just disagree there. And Aaron, can I just make one last point, and then we can pick this debate up later? Sure, go ahead. All right. The one thing that I think is important to note in terms of the indictments is the background of the 
these so-called anti-war, anti-globalization groups and conferences that look to have been directly sponsored by the FSB. And remember, FSB is the next generation of what used to be the core of the KGB in that it serves Russian right. state security, like domestic state security. And so the conferences seem to be part of the way that people are managed as assets. For example, I, uh, as a long-term American uh, anti-war, anti-imperial, 9-11 truth, uh, anti-war dissident, was then cultivated to come to the New Horizons conference in Iran. I turned them down. But if I had gone ahead with it, I would have then been at the table with Dugan, and this fake RT uh, neocon anti-war guy called Michael Malouf, who was crucial to the reporting of Judith Miller in uh, working out of Douglas Fife's Office of Special Plans Department at the Pentagon that was crucial to pushing the Iraq war disinformation uh, alongside other uh, quote-unquote American dissidents. And so your co-host in terms of the gray zone, Max Blumenthal, looks to have tr turned his entire perspective around something like Syria at the very same time that he was being cultivated oh, around things God. like the RT oh, yeah, anniversary yeah, conference. Okay. Yeah, KG, I've heard this before. Yes, the conspiracy theory is that Max all of a sudden went through a sudden conversion after attending uh, an RT conference uh, in Russia, okay? So um, I don't know what to tell people who actually believe that stuff. Uh, Max has been a lifelong uh, leftist. The dirty war in Syria had a lot of propaganda around it. A lot of leftists got duped by it. Max was one of them. And then he did his own research and he talked to people he talked to Syrian friends. He talked to journalists who've been to Syria, and he realized he was wrong, and uh, and he changed his mind. And people want to believe that instead of actually coming to his position through intellectual curiosity, that he went to Russia for an RT conference with, along with like, you know, Jill Stein and other people were there. Um, Michael Flynn and Jill Stein sitting at the table yeah, with, but other, with other Putin. People, other people were there too, like. You know, like, uh, I don't know, wasn't Eric Alterman or something of the nation there or something like that? There was like there was people who were completely um, non-controversial who were there as well. And people want to believe that at that conference, Max got turned. And, and that's the conspiracy theory. I'm not, making a more nuanced point, Aaron. No, you're I'm not, not saying no, I'm sorry. I am. OK, what's your what's your I'm sorry. I missed your nuanced point. What is it? The, I'm not saying that the, that that Al, uh, that Max went to this uh, RT 10th anniversary dinner and then was sort of blatantly paid off or turned, but I was just pointing out that I have my own background in the way that this sort of conference uh, world works, where you are invited. We still don't know about who paid for uh, Max's trip or the or the trips involving these uh, anti-globalization, anti-war things. And so this the way anyone who has a sophisticated take on for, the way Max paid for his trip. OK, good. That's good. Thank you for, for clarifying that. And I appreciate that. And the way that these kinds of the way that conferences in an intelligence sponsored manner, it's obvious to me that this New Horizons conference is a conjunction of Iranian and Russian intelligence sort of sitting together, uh -huh. cultivating American dissidents. And the way that it can work is that it, it massages your perception. It massages the networks of people that you are in line with. And it's way more sophisticated than the idea of just being turned into a paid agent. And I think that it's, it's not a coincidence that this entire network has been deeply involved in trying to deny the basics 
of the uh, what we call the 11-9 operation, the installation of Trump. Now that Bamford has published the evidence in terms of Netanyahu's crucial uh-huh. role in helping install Trump, the Putin's role has been known for a long, long time. And the mass cover-up of this entire network of people that have been massaged by these conferences of these uh-huh, basic uh-huh, facts uh-huh. of the 2016 election, yes. I think is indicative of yes. something Ooh. much bigger than okay. you're willing to admit. All right. Well, I, I will ha- okay. I will happily mock the idea that Putin had anything to do with Trump in 2016, and I've written about that extensively. And uh, if you think I'm wrong on that, you are free to write. The first article trying to rebut me, but all the evidence for that, I think, uh, shows that all that was – that Russiagate was basically a scam. We'll leave it there, though. Uh, all right. And uh, thank you for the call. Thank all right, you. everybody. Uh, this was a bonus extended version. Yeah. we got a debate going. So yeah. hope you enjoyed that, and we'll see you next time. And in the meantime, go to usefulidiots.substack.com. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.